0: We are, uh, we're breaking away from the Gospel of Luke for one Sunday to consider uh, the 10th Psalm. So please turn there with me in your Bibles. Apologize for uh, my voice today. Pray that the Lord will sustain my voice today as um, I preach God's Word. Uh, before I read the text, let's, uh, let's pray and ask for the Lord's help. Lord, we, uh, we marvel at your work in the church. Um, this gathering of people is not the work of man, it is your work. And we marvel because we come from various backgrounds, different stories, different experiences, uh, different places. And uh, you have united us together in our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, We thank you that you have uh, promised to meet your people here and speak your word to us. Would you please be faithful to that promise? And uh, we we pray that you would prove your word to be a light unto our feet. And uh, Lord, we pray that we would taste the sweetness of your word, that it would be sweeter than the honey of the honeycomb, that it would encourage those who are discouraged, that it would strengthen the weak and give faith to those who have doubts. Come and minister to your people, we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, All of Psalm 10, beginning in verse 1, let's hear God's word. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten, he has hidden his face, he will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, you will not call to account, but you do see, for you note mischief and vexation that you may take it into your hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king. Forever and ever the nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. So that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. The opening question, why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of Trouble. I don't think I need to take any time this morning to try to convince you that this psalm is relevant because some of you have been there. Uh, some of you have asked these very questions Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? I think it's been a cry of God's people down through the ages. Uh, towards the end of Romans chapter eight, the the apostle Paul, as he's reflecting upon all of the the glorious privileges that belong to the Christian life for those who are in Christ Jesus, as Paul is in the midst of rejoicing in those glorious privileges, he mentions persecution and distress and 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 uh, tribulations. In the midst of the privileges of the Christian life, there is this note of suffering and the psalmist is all all, he's candid about it isn't he Uh, the kind of suffering that the psalmist is experiencing is caused by a wicked man there is a columnist there is a tyrant in this psalm who wants to crush God's helpless one And we get his his profile in in verses 3 through 11. In verses 3 through 6, his assumed immunity. He says, I shall not be moved. In verses 7 through 10, his ingenuity. Um, he, He preys upon others as a predator. Seeks its prey. He lurks in ambush in the villages. Verse 8 says, In hiding places, he harms the innocent. He's secretive. He's furtive in his actions. And what he does, he does in secrecy. He does, as it were, behind closed doors. In verse 11, his mentality, which justifies his tyrannical action, he says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see. God will not remember this. God will not take note of this. God doesn't know. And so the suffering of the psalmist is the result of being the prey of this predator. And I'm not just using that language because it's maybe used sometimes today. I'm using it because it's right here in this psalm. That's how the psalmist speaks. They are the target of a tyrant. And one of the chief weapons of the tyrant, did you notice it, is his tongue. In verse 7, verse 7 catalogs the way the tyrant's tongue is used to inflict harm. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. His mouth sows deceit. When he opens his mouth, instead of shining light upon the truth, he conceals the truth. His words don't lead to the truth. They lead away from the truth. His words oppress. Literally, his words inflict harm, causing one to be bent down. And under his tongue, isn't that striking imagery? Under his tongue while this one speaks. There is hidden there mischief and iniquity. Concealed in what he says is mischief and twisted distortions and perversions of the truth. And throughout the psalm we see the pathetic state of the suffering psalmist being described. The the psalmist feels all alone, abandoned, even by God. The psalmist is hotly pursued like prey being chased down relentlessly by a predator. The psalmist is crushed, sunk down by the, the might of the tyrant. If, I think if you boil it all down, the psalmist feels utterly alone, helpless, and crushed. And so here's the problem. You see, that, I think we can begin to see the problem that's prompting the question. <laughs> Lord, Why do you stand far off? Why do you hide your face in in times of trouble? Because the tyrant seems to be doing just fine. He's boasting in his success. Boasting in himself. Boasting in the fact that he will never be called to account. Meanwhile, the psalmist is left defeated and alone. And if you have... uh, Ever asked these sorts of questions, I want to say at the beginning, dear friends, let me just remind you that the Psalms are a great go-to when God seems far off, when, when the oppression seems so severe that you cannot endure another day, you believe. The Psalms are here to, to nourish you and nurture you and encourage you and, and give hope to your damaged soul this psalm also shows us and it's, so, it's i think it's so important we realize this for the christian life the psalmist shows us that this it, it's not a mark of unbelief to ask the question why god are you far off why do you seem to hide yourself in times of trouble the psalmist is not asking those questions in unbelief the psalmist is asking those questions in faith. The psalmist is seeking the Lord here, crying out to God in faith, and the Bible has several ways of answering this important question. If, if, if our God loves us with a steadfast love, which he, if he do, which he does, if our God is for us, which he is, if our God is promised to Never leave us nor forsake us, which he has. And if our God is able in an instant to defeat all his and our enemies, then why doesn't he do it? That's what's driving this question. Why, why, Lord, do you stand far off and why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In this psalm, there are at least six realities the psalmist draws comfort from. And I'm going to touch on each one briefly this morning. But like so many other passages, there's no explanation given for the suffering. There will be a day when things become more clear. But here, in the now, we live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith in the God who spared not his one and only son, but delivered him up for us all. So notice the six realities that encourage the psalmist. First of all, the psalmist draws comfort in the fact that God is king. Look at verse 16 again. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his Land. he is nurturing his soul with the truth of who God is he's he's reminding himself no matter how dark or how mysterious God's ways are with his people and with his world he is king forever and ever and that means God is not cowering off in a corner wondering what he's going to do with the nations raging against him. It it means that God is not for a moment befuddled about how he's going to deliver his people from oppression. Yes, the oppression that we see around the world um, that our brothers and sisters in Christ experience because of their commitment to Christ, but sadly also the, the oppression that some people are experiencing within their own homes. God is not for a moment wondering how he's going to deliver his people because he's king forever and ever. You know, it's said that that in art, uh, that perspective is, is everything. And that's true of the Christian life too, I think. It's true of the life of faith because here is where we anchor our lives. Here is our reference point. It is the great unassailable truth that God is king and Lord over all. The one who gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, over to the cross to redeem us is the same God who rules over all things. And he has not relinqu- relinquished his kingship for a moment. And so the mayhem we see around the world, the oppression God's people experience is not something that has happened haphazardly or remains unknown to the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. Why, why, why it is and how it is that he ordains and permits and uses it all is, is beyond you and me. But he does. And he is king forever and ever. And the psalmist is anchoring his life in that truth. Dear friends, faith finds a resting place here. The second thing the psalmist finds comfort in is remembering that the Lord sees and notes the evil done by the wicked to his people. Look back at verse 14. But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. The Lord sees and the Lord notes. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples that not a hair falls from your head without your heavenly father knowing about it. Not one hair, not one aspect of your life escapes him. Nothing is not known and noted by your heavenly father. And says the psalmist, "You see and note that you may take it into your hands." We'll see in a little bit that there is a there is a day of reckoning. There is a day marked on the divine calendar when God will judge the secrets of men by a man of His His appointing, our Lord Jesus Christ. And He has given evidence of the fact that He will do that by raising Jesus Christ. From the dead. The resurrection is a great event. The resurrection tells us that death does not have the final word. But there is another message to the resurrection. For through the resurrection. God has raised up his righteous son. To be the judge of the living and the dead. There is not one thing about your life and my life. That is not noted. Known. By our heavenly father. He notes all of the mischief. And vexation that his people experience. And he takes it into his hands. Isn't that marvelous imagery? He takes it into his hands. Third the psalmist remembers. That the Lord hears. And is not deaf to the cries of his afflicted people. This is the third thing the psalmist draws comfort from. Look at verse 17. Oh Lord, you hear the, desires, uh, the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. It's interesting how he's speaking there. Does God need to be reminded that he will incline his ear? That he will strengthen the hearts of his people? Of course not. Do You see, the psalmist is just as much preaching to his own soul As he cries out to God in prayer. Because one of Satan's. I think one of Satan's great devices. Is to try to convince the children of God. That their heavenly father is deaf to their cries. And and he will try to use evidence to substantiate his case. Saying look at your life. Look Look at the situation you are in. If he really listened to your prayers, would you be here? If he really cared about you, would you find yourself in this place? And the goal is to silence the prayers of God's people. You see, here's here's a fundamental foundational stone in the believer's life. As for God, his ways are perfect, though we do not yet see that perfection. But the God who spared not his only son, but delivered him up for us all, yes, his ways are inscrutable and past finding out, but he is a God who hears and is not deaf to the cries of his children. He is a God who hears and acts. See, nor is our God emotionally and passively indifferent to the suffering of his people. There's a, there's a striking verse in. Isaiah 63, where it tells us that God himself is afflicted in the afflictions of his people. It's amazing language in Isaiah 63, verse 9. Listen to it. In their affliction, he, that is God, was afflicted. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them, he lifted them up, and he carried them. We could spend lots of time trying to think that through and make sense of it. How can a God who is unchanged, unmoved, impassable, how could such a God be afflicted? But what we need to understand, dear friends, is the Bible is absolutely clear about this. Who God is never gets in the way of God sincerely caring and loving for his people. He's He's not emotionally impassive. He's not... He's not locked in an immobile, uh, frozen pose, clinically carrying out his purposes in history. God loves his people with a burning affection. He watches over them. And in all of our afflictions, Isaiah says, God himself is afflicted. How could it be any other way if our God is a loving heavenly father? He is our Father in Christ who hears and is not deaf to the cries of his children. Well, Here's the fourth thing. The psalmist draws comfort in verse 18 from the fact that the Lord will do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. You see, sooner or later, our God will bring every thought, word, and every deed into judgment. The things we thought were done in secret will be brought into the light. You know, Matthew 25 is, is a passage that we all ought to know well. From, from verse uh, 31 to, to the end, we have this account where Jesus is telling us about the nations being brought before the judgment seat and and uh, the, the the sheep and the goats being separated. And Jesus says to the sheep on his right... Um, welcome come into the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world and those on his left he said depart from me you cursed into everlasting fire into hell prepared for satan and the demons jesus is absolutely clear that there is a final ultimate reckoning when god will finally fully and forever do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed wicked man will be permitted to do harm no more. If if we are Christian believers then, we ought to look look forward to that day, Not, not with fear, because in Jesus Christ, God has dealt fully and finally and forever with our own sin. We should learn to pray as the New Testament teaches us to pray, Lord, hasten the day, come quickly, Lord Jesus, when, the day of, when, when righteousness will be vindicated and, and wickedness will be condemned and cast out forever. God will do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. There will be a day of reckoning for, for arrogant, wicked men who boast in themselves. For the one who has crushed the helpless and renounced God by his action. The psalmist is saying... God will do what is right. He will see to justice. The arm of the evildoer will be broken. Here's the fifth thing. The psalmist draws comfort in committing himself to the Lord. At the end of verse 14, to you the helpless commits himself. Literally, the word is abandoned. Believers abandon themselves to the Lord. It's a wonderful thing to see a believer abandon themselves and all those whom they love to the Lord. To his, to his grace, to his mercy, to his kindness, to his compassion, to his righteousness and goodness. You know, one of the fundamental things we need to understand about the Christian life, dear friends, is that Jesus Christ never calls us to do something that he has not himself first done. Jesus did this very thing, didn't he, upon the cross. Into your hands, Father, I abandon my spirit. He committed himself. While he was being crucified at the hands of wicked men, he committed himself to the Lord. And this is what the helpless man or woman of faith does. He or she abandons themselves to the Lord. And then six, the psalmist draws comfort from the Lord's promise to help his people when they need it. Uh, verse 17, Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear. Once again, we read that verse. In Hebrews chapter 4, we're told that there is grace to help in time of need for God's people. And our great need is to avail ourselves of that grace. But when The Bible speaks about grace to help in time of need. It's not referring to some kind of impersonal, undefinable substance that God rains down from heaven upon his people. When the Bible speaks about grace to help, it's saying that God will personally act for the good of his people. When the Bible says that there is grace to help in time of need, it's telling us that God is personally committed to helping his people in time of need. That is why he is called the helper of his people. Incidentally, that's what woman is called in the beginning. It's not a term of weakness, it's a term of strength. You know, we live in a fallen world. A, Place where at times it appears as though the wicked do prosper. And we are often looking out through a veil of tears. God does not promise that our lives will all be sweetness and light. And so, dear friends, the question I want to come to as we come to a conclusion is how then, as Christians, are we to live? In this fallen world, let me, let me mention two things on the basis of this psalm. And the first one is the, the theme of today's message that we must live by faith, not by sight. Trusting our Heavenly Father knows and notes and is righteous, you see, the Christian life is intrinsically a life of faith. Not faith in faith, not blind faith, but faith lived on the basis of what God says. And not merely what we see with our eyes. You know for some of our brothers and sisters in Christ walking by faith and not by sight has meant death for them. For others it's meant the loss of a career, the loss of a relationship. And most of us will not be called to such sacrifices when we are called to live by faith not by sight. But we can only be what we are where we are dear friends. And whatever your situation, the Lord is saying to each one of his children this morning, trust me, trust me. And it's a great thing, isn't it, to trust someone who is infinitely trustworthy. It is a great thing to trust someone whose word is his bond. And God's word has been sealed with his The blood of his very own son. And so that's the first thing. Trust your heavenly father. The second thing that we learn from this psalm, pray that he will break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Verse 15: break the arm of the wicked and evildoer, call his wickedness to account till you find none. That's a Christian prayer. Now you might want to say to me, well, hang on a second. Didn't Jesus say to love your enemies and do good to those who persecute? Yeah, yes, we prayed it this morning. Absolutely, he says that. Uh, but the Bible also teaches us to pray. Yes, that the Lord would do good to those who persecute us. Yes, that we would be able to show love to our enemies. But we are all, and, and we are to pray for the salvation of the wicked and the oppressors of this world but we are also to pray that if they will not repent that God would deal with them in his righteousness and justice that God would not let such wickedness stand wonder if you've ever thought through what we are actually praying when we pray the Lord's prayer and you know, when we pray your kingdom come what are we asking for We are asking for the Lord to overthrow evil and crush all of his enemies if they will not repent and cry out to him for mercy. And my friend, if you are not wanting God to crush his enemies and save his people, then don't pray the Lord's Prayer. Don't pray as Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We live in a world filled with wickedness and wrong, a world where believers experience oppression But the Christian knows and he has that perspective that God is king forever and ever. What a a stunning statement that shapes how we see reality. It gives us perspective on everything, doesn't it? Forgive me for, for using, it gives you an eschatological perspective. That what is coming in the future ought to determine how the people of God live in the here and now. History is in God's hands. And he will take all of the vexation and the mischief and the mistreatment that the people of God have experienced into his hands. And he will do what is right. It's a comfort. It's a double-edged Sword, if I put it that way. I mean, but this, it should be a comfort to God's people and it should be a warning to those who have the spirit of this tyrant and who are saying in their hearts, God doesn't see. God doesn't know. He has turned his eyes away. What's our perspective though? Our perspective is my father who spared not his only son for me is King forever and ever. And therefore, we can look out on this world with our heads held high, not because we think we are anything, not because we think much of ourselves, but because we are children of the King who sees and notes the wickedness done to His people, who hears the cries of the afflicted and who will bring justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. And my friends, the Lord will do it for all those who abandon their souls to Him. Well, may the, may the Lord's people be encouraged and may we learn increasingly to, to live by faith and not by sight. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do rejoice that you are King forever and ever. We rejoice that our lives are in your hands, that you do hear the cries of your children that you do take note of the mischief and the vexation that they experienced and you will do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. Therefore, Lord, help us to live in light of divine realities that you are king, that a day is coming when all things will be made right and therefore help us to live by faith and not by sight. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.